Good evening. I hope that all of your hachanas for Rosh Hashanah and the Yemei Slichos uh, are coming along. It's timely. It's the time of year that that's when we immerse ourselves deeply into the sea of tshuva and amira, davening, dilem. And the Mate Moshe says that the Parsha of Netzavim is always the Shabbos before Rosh Hashanah. And the words Atem Netzavim Hayom is the gematria, the numerical value of 694, which is exactly the, the gematria of La'amod Lichos, also 694. So the Gemara says that every place that the word Hayom is said, it's a reference to Rosh Hashanah. So in Atem Nitzavim Hayom, that there's always a, there's already a remez and a hint to the fact that we're in the Yemei HaSlichos. And we hope some of it should rub off on us, that we shouldn't go through the entire process of Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, Sukkot, and then go back to our daily mundane lives as if nothing happened. That there should be some lasting effect, and that is our sincere feel and hope that each and every one of us have when we go into Elul and then into Rosh Hashanah. Now, this Shabbos, Shabbos Nitzavim, is the Shabbos before Rosh Kodesh Tishrei, before Rosh Hashanah. And traditionally, every single month, when we have the Shabbos preceding a Rosh Chodesh, it's called Shabbos Mavorchem. Many Kehillahs say the Hotilim, and there are others that do other things, Lukovit Shabbos Mavorchem, because that is the embodiment of the whole month, because Shabbos carries every day of the week, and if during that week it's Rosh Chodesh, so then that Rosh Chodesh, which has the power of the entire month, draws its strength from the preceding Shabbos. And that's why Yidin say out loud, and as the Sefer Hamid Hogim says, the power of Shabbos Mavarachim implants, instills, imparts an unbelievable level of Kedusha, Tahara, Hatzlacha, into the Shabbos Mavarachim, and as we, Klaiyosos, are Mavarach the Chodesh, that disseminates and goes into the mainstream of the month for the entire month. So we are Mavarach the Chodesh, Klaiyosos. But when it comes to Rosh Hashanah, we have no Shabbos Mavarachim. It is Shabbos Mavarachim. But we, Klal Yisrael, are not the ones who are in the driver's seat for it. 
as we are in all of the other months. It is HaKadosh Baruch Hu himself who is Mavarich B'Chodesh. We're not left without covering ourselves with drenching the upcoming month with bracha. But it, the bracha is there, but it's coming from HaKadosh Baruch Hu because before Rosh Hashanah, it's not only mashpia on an upcoming month, but an upcoming year. And therefore this Shabbos, which is Nitzavim, which has 40 Psukim, because the theme of this time of year is 40. From Rosh Chodesh Elul through Yom Kippur is 40 days. We talked about the 40 saw of the mikvah and the 24 lugan in each and every saw. And therefore you have 40 days which have 24 hours in each day. So it's 960 hours. And 960 lugan of a mikvah, and just as the mikvah is matire and mekadesh, the person who dips himself into it, whether it be a man or whether it's a woman, so too we are, so to speak, dipping ourselves into the waters of the 960 hours, the time, the zman, to uplift ourselves, be metahir ourselves, and do everything. But it's the 40, the number 40, and that's why some say that there's 40 psukim in Nitzavim, and that's always the mashpia into Rosh Hashanah. The Shabbos of Nitzavim. Now sometimes Nitzavim is together with Vayelech, but Nitzavim itself or with Vayelech is always there as a mashpia into Rosh Hashanah. Now, we know that last week there was a, there were the psukim of the Tochachah. And the Medrash says, and Rashi brings it, that when they finished the Tochachah, Horiku Penehem, their faces became green. That means they became like in a state of shock. They're ready to throw up their hands and says, did you just hear this tochacha? How could I ever succeed? Why am I even starting? I'm finished before I start. There's almost no hope. So the Kliyokar dwells on this, on this Hariku Peneyam. And he begins with a statement that it's never referred to as 98 clothes. There were 98. They're referred to as 100 minus 2, less 2. And that's how the number 98 comes. Now, why would it be stated as such? If there were 98, there were 98. But the answer is that there are really two more statements immediately following the Tochachah. And those statements bring us into the realm of a vagueness. You see, the Tochachah itself 
makes a statement and you know exactly what it's saying, there's clarity, a person does this or that, this is what happens, and that this is what happens is clearly understood. But the last two psukim that come afterwards are two more general statements with no clarity. We're not sure what it's referring to specifically and what exactly is this all-encompassing statement referring to. There's a vagueness. And the Kliyoker says, because when a Yid knows specifically what the problem is and what even the punishment is, it brings him to at least a step forward in solving the problem. How to attack it, how to deal with it, how to get out of the mud that it shouldn't reoccur. But there's clarity. But when there's a general vague statement, then that's something that leaves the person like in limbo, what is it referring to? What is the thing we have to do to avoid those last two? So the Kliyakar says that the vagueness of what it is, is a reference when it says, that it gives us room to maneuver because it's not specific. So we can take our own action. Sometimes we don't know why something happened. You know, why did they allow this or why did they allow that? But they didn't bring out with yes and no, and this is what you have to do. But it was only a direct, vague statement. And he capitalizes on the vagueness that a person sometimes is, starts off the day, no Averis today. And he suddenly, something comes up, the Yetzirah grabs him by the neck, and in five minutes is on the train back to the cafe. And he does something that that morning when he was washing Negovasar, he didn't even think he would end up here or there or doing this or doing that. But that's how the Sahara works. And that is the reason that the day before Rosh Hashanah, we don't blow the shoifer. In other words, there's a minik every day of the month of Elo. We blow the shoifer. And the Shochanara says, but Erev Rosh Hashanah, we want to mix up the sudden. Now, every child knows it's Erev Rosh Hashanah the next day, but not the sudden. The sudden is, if I may use such an example, which is maybe not the most tasteful example 
An alligator, they say, is a destructive animal, kills people. But if you're standing to the right of the alligator, he doesn't see you. Because his vision only it projects what's in front of him. And he can get 100 feet in five seconds. He can get there very quickly. But if the person's to his side, he doesn't see the person. And that's why they say that if a person sees an alligator, try to get to the side that he shouldn't notice you and come after you. That is a pretty good example of what the Sutton and what goes through with Yisrael. There are certain things that he can see with a direct image and that he is able to attack, but there are certain things that are out of his sight. And the error of Rosh Hashanah, by not sounding the shoifer, he suddenly thinks, oh, the season of this business of the new year, and all, it's over. It's gone. I mean, it says in Shachnar, that's the Lashem, to mix up the Sutton. And do we think that he doesn't realize it? He doesn't, because if the Shachnar says such a statement, he doesn't realize it's error of Rosh Hashanah. So we see that there is the ability to direct the traffic with the sun. There are certain things that lure us. We have a telephone that could bring the best Divrei Torah and bring the nicest ideas to a Yid and to his home. And he can live by it and he can thrive by it. And then suddenly the Sutton comes with his plan of how to drag you down. But if the person doesn't have that phone to see certain things or, and he's using the phone only for good, but he has to just be caught once to know how to get the other junk on the telephone and that can make the whole difference in his life. And there's so many other examples like this that come up. And when Rashi says that Moshe Rabbeinu said to Klayasel, don't get so despondent and depressed because you heard all of these curses. You were bad in the midboard. You did this and you did that. But you're still standing here. You're still here as a people. You're alive. You see, despite such a tochacha, but you're still with us. You're all standing here, so don't despair. So the Meshachachma asks, that here he gave a tochacha to scare the daylights out of them. You better be good. And then he comes with consolation. Don't be so concerned about it. It's like a father says to a child, don't you ever dare do this again. 
And then the father says, and it's not so bad. It's not. I mean, you told him off in such stark terms. And now you're backtracking, you're diluting the whole statement that you made. So asked the And he answers and says, because many times people become hopeless. A yid is never allowed to become hopeless. There is always hope, no matter how bleak and how dark. And that is the very reason that we are called Yehudim, Jews. After Yehuda, we're not called Reuvenim, the Jewish community. We're not calling Gadim, of, of on the names of other Shvatim, Shimonim. We're called Yehudim, after Yehuda, because everything was so bleak in Mitzrayim when it came to that point that Binyamin was about to be taken as a slave to, to Paro, to Yosef, to Paro, to Mitzrayim. And they imagined they're going home to Yaakov Avinu and to tell him that you not only lost Yosef and Shimon was in jail, but you now lost Binyamin, you're never going to see him again. The father would have died on the spot. And that's what they saw in front of them. They were like at a, by a brick wall. But Yehuda stepped forward. Yehuda, in the midst of this terrible turmoil and seeming hopelessness, was able to bring in, besides the fact that it says Mashiach bin David, Mashiach bin Yosef, that was the Pegisha of Yehuda and Yosef. It was much deeper things. And that's how the Iskalos of Ani Yosef came out over there. But it was the Derech, and it was the path, and it was the cushion and the softening of that hard-line hopelessness that was cast into the equation that brought hope back because a yid could be down. He doesn't have of course he feels bad about it, but he's not hopeless. There's no such thing as hopelessness, and that's why hopelessness is the direct correlation with Amuna. Because how does a yid in such a severe situation remain with his hope? He remains with his hope by his emuna. When a yid sharpens and, and spreads the blanket and puts himself of the blanket of emuna under the umbrella of overall emuna and bitachon, that is how he can survive. And that's how we have survived as a people. I mean, marching us out of a country that we lived for 500 years in Spain, and they saw death, and they had to either choose death or become Christians. But when they left, they had hope, and they thrived in new communities. They became, the Arbar Benel was the treasure of the whole country. He gave them their eights 
with money and with everything that they had to do, and we gave the countries more than they gave us. But the sin of a Jew, the hatred for a Jew, overrided everything. And somebody poked his head out of that tent, the Galach or the, the Viceroy, somebody to put in a, a, the thrust of anti-Semitism to override all the good that the Jews do as peaceful, wonderful people to have as part of their community. And that's how some types and translate and explain the fact that the last two were vague. Because when something's vague, you're not sure. And that's where you can allow Emuna to come in. You're not fighting an uphill battle that something stark in front of your face is negative. But you can take the, the statement in a negative way, but it's so vague and you don't know for exactly what it is that you can pull out that pocket full of emuna to be able to carry the day. Now, the Pasuk says, Im ye that if you're dispersed, end up at the edge of the heaven, no matter how far you are, Hashem will take you back. So the Kotzka Rebbe asks, that why does it say that if you'll be at the end of the edge of heaven, we're living here in, in the world, in Oretz, Eretz. Why doesn't the Pasuk say, Im that if you are dispersed to even the end of the earth, from there, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, when you do tshuva and you behave, will bring you back. But the Kutzkeres, why does it say Shamayim? And as always, because the Kutzker was very sharp and very to the point, he said the reason the Pusik says Shamayim is because it's not the artsiest, not the earthliness the material, not the mundane, that's going to pull you back. Every Jew has some schusen. That means he could be somebody who was eating his whole life on Yom Kippur. Sometimes he doesn't know better. Uh, or he could be eating chometz on Pesach. But he went and did a chesed for some yidn. So there's something in his record, in his treasure chest, that connects him still to the atzmios, to the essence of Kla Yisrael, which is Torah or mitzvahs, or chesed. So, so the Kotzker says that if a person, be, no matter how far away he has fallen, but the big Shemaim, Shemaim is Ruchnius. 
if he has a little piece of ruchnius, the chesed that he did, some ruchnius, some schusim, that's going to pull him back. It's not the fact that he's here in Olam HaZeh, because Olam HaZeh is not going to pull him back. It's the ruchnius and the spirituality that the person acquired as he was a human being here living in the world and something good came his way or came from him that was produced, that was put on his record in Shemayim and the whole record could be totally negative but there's little piece, says the Kotzka, that's what's Hashem, HaKadosh Baruch Hu grabs onto and allows the person to come back. Now, and the Kutzker asked that it says that all the Shi'arim of gateways to pity, to learning, to this, that, the learning of today, learning of Torah is not equal in the intensity or the the totality of what it was 500 years ago. We have more learning, but that doesn't mean the quality is better than the person who learned with his feet in the cold water so he shouldn't fall asleep. But, so those Shi'orim, it says in Chazal, are all closed. But the Shari de Maos, the gate where the tears from people who cried down here and the tears ascend, they go up to Shemayim, that Shar, that gate is never closed. So the Kutzka asked that if it's never If it's never closed, so what do you need a gate for? A gate is sometimes to allow people passage, open the gate, or to close the gate and what whoever wants to come through can't get in because the gate is closed. But if the shari de maos, if the gateway of the tears is never closed, so what do you need a gate then for? So he answers and says the gates are closed for those who are hopeless. The Shari Demos can open every vista, every dimension of life in an unbelievable way. but not from the person who is hopeless. Because Yid, and that was the word from the Ishbitzer, who said that we are called Yehudim because Yehuda always professed and exhibited tremendous hope under the worst of the mentorship and says that Yehuda, who was very strong, he dispatched Naphtali, who was light on his feet to go to all 12 provinces 
and see in Mitzrayim what's doing, the whole country, how it's divided. And he came back and told Yehuda that there are 12 divisions, like counties. So Yehuda said, 12? Okay, I'll take that Klal Yisrael will each take, that Bnei Yaakov will each take one, and I'll take the remaining three, and we'll wipe them out. That means the Bnei Yisrael were very capable, very dead. Now, someone undertaking a thing like that, Mitzrayim was riding high in the world. They were of the best, the biggest, the, 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 the most industrious, whatever they were doing. So to take on an entire country, which was at the helm of the world at that time, Yehuda had an assuredness. Where did that medrash, where did that koyach that the medrash describes come from? And the answer is that it came from Yehuda's constant positive hope that we're going to have a solution and we're going to win the day. We're going to bring Binyamin back to our father. Now, I did want to say something. So the next few minutes, I'm going to speak a little about Rosh Hashanah, but I am going to um, be making another tape this Thursday, which will be for next week, which is Rosh Hashanah. Sunday night is Rosh Hashanah. And it will be able to be heard on Motsui Shabbos, the day before Rosh Hashanah. And it will include parts of Vayelach because a week from this Shabbos is Shabbos Shuva and it is Parshas Vayelach. So there are nine brachos in the Shmonesri of Musaf on Rosh Hashanah. Now on the weekday we have what we call Shemana Esrei which means 18 but they added on a 19th one Malshinim. so there's really 19 brachas that we say three times a day on regular weekdays. Malshinim. Now on Shabbos every week we have seven brachas, the three traditional beginning brachas, Magen Avram, Mechayim, Mason, and Okeel Kadosh, and the last three uh, of a regular Shemona Esrei, uh, when we, we say Amachazir Shechinoso Letzion, Ten Hatov Shimcha, excuse me, Ulochon Noel Lohodos, and then we say Hamavorich Asamu Yisrael Bashov. Shabbos we had Mekadesh Shabbos. So every Shabbos Shmona Esrei has exactly seven brachos. But on Rosh Hashanah we have Malchios, Zichronos, and Shofros. And that's only for Rosh Hashanah, except 
when Yom Kippur comes out in a Yoival year, you know that after seven Shemitah years, and this year was a Shemitah year, uh, that after seven Shemitah years, is seven times seven is 49, the 50th year becomes Yoival, which is a discussion in and of itself of how high Yoival is and what it accomplishes. And on a Yoival year in the Yom Kippur, Shemona Esrei of Musaf, we blow Shoifer, we say Malchios, Zechronos, and Shofros. Not any other Yom Kippur, but on the Yom Kippur of a Yoival year, once every 50 years, the Shemona Esrei has in it the Malchios, Zechronos, and Shofros. And those three brachos bring the three from the beginning and the three at the end to a total of nine. And the question is asked, why nine? Why do we have this? And the answer that the Gemara says and others, everything else in explaining it is the fact that Chana said when she was standing there in the base on Migdash and she was davening for a son and she was hoping that she was going to be Zoycha to have a child she said Hashem's name nine times from those nine times, we learn out that we have to say a Shemona Esrei on Rosh Hashanah, which carries nine brachas. Because the essence of Chana's tefillah was so dynamic. I mean, first, in those days, they used to out loud daven, everything out loud. We know the Zohar Kodesh says, that if someone says Shemona Esrei, not the rest of Daphne, but Shemona Esrei, and people hear what they're saying, even if they're whispering, but there's someone next to him who can hear what he's saying, the tefillah is locked out of Shemayim. It does not go into heaven because it's nisgashing. The fact that a human said it and that a human heard it it doesn't go into heaven, to Shemayim. So, everyone davened out loud, told them. But after Chana, we learn out that Shemona Esrei, to be effective and to get to its source, the Oilam Atzilus, it must be totally silent. And even in Shulchan Aruch, that says by Rosh Hashanah that we can raise our voices a little bit uh, because we're asking for our lives, we're asking for the entire year ahead, that it should be successful, it should be good, it should be what we need, what we want for all of Kuala Yisrael. But some say that means only the whole davening. It doesn't mean Shemana and even for those that say it does mean Shmon Esrei, 
but he could say it, but not if someone is next in that's going to hear what he's saying. So the point being that we learn from Chana how a Shemona Esrei, how we have to daven, and we all learn it from Chana. Now the question is asked, why? Thank you. Why? Don't we learn from Rachel? I mean, she was busy davening and begging for a child. I mean, there were others that were in that matzav. So why don't we learn from them? Why is everything Chana? We have the Haftorah, the first day of Rosh Hashanah, which some bring as a segula for having children, because it's the story of how she davened. And Eli, the Kohen Gadol, thought she was drunk. And he said, what did you come here to daven and you're in a state of drunkenness? And she answered and said, take it easy. I am not drunk. I'm pouring out my heart. And the way you're supposed to do it is silently, not out loud. And the Gemara says she was right. And we incorporated into all of our Davni Bianchik Nesakola that Shemana Esri could scream the whole Davni, but not Shemana Esri. And because she was so on target and she was so through and through etched into the essence of brokenness. But she didn't give up hope. She was there and she was begging and demanding and crying. She got the answer and the replica of all of that avoida is Arshman Esri Rosh Hashanah because she said Hashem's name with such Kedusha, with such Tahara, with such total devotion that it became the excuse me, the role model and became the backbone of our tefillah on Rosh Hashanah. And even on Yom Kippur of Yoivel, that once in 50 years, on Yom Kippur, to say the Malchios, the Zechronos, and the Shofos, which is like an unbelievable level of what she accomplished. So we come to Rosh Hashanah given a gift, the ability to penetrate and to reach the highest of high and the essence of what our Kodesh Baruch Hu wants when you're crowning him as king, and what to say. Because a person could bake a, be given all the ingredients to bake a cake that will be tasteful and delicious and effective, that you want the end result. But you have to put in the ingredients with the measurement of what it is, because if you just dump sugar and jump chocolate and dump this and that, you're not going to end up 
with the cake that you want. So we're given strict guidelines and the grenade of Klal Yisrael to the Sutton, to the Chitzoinim, to the Mekatrigim is Tekiah Shoifer. That is, and it's not the Tekiah Shoifer of the whole month of Elul. The Mitzvah Sasei of Tekiah Shoifer on Rosh Hashanah has the power, because when we're supplicating for goodness, and the answer is, why do you deserve good? Look what you did the whole year. Our answer, our grenade that we throw back to disseminate, to wipe out all of that negativity is Takiya Schoifer. And it is indeed careful to, you have to be careful from the first Takiyas to the last Takiyas of the Kaddish of Tiskabel at the end of Musaf, not to talk out. Because when you have a chain, and the chain has a hundred links to it, and there's somebody, and the chain is very strong at the top end, clinging to the brick wall because there's strong steel and iron up there locking it in, but the guy at the bottom holding onto the chain for his dear life that he shouldn't fall 3,000 feet, if you take one link out of that chain, then that guy at the bottom is in big trouble. When we have tekiah shoifer, there are a hundred tekiahs, there's a hundred different sounds between the tekiahs, the shvarim, and the druas. It's a hundred sounds. And interestingly, it was because when David HaMelech had the fight with the giant, the giant, Agoy, the giant's mother was home and she cried a hundred tears. And that's why we have a hundred sounds. To counter the effectiveness of the Goy's hundred tears that we come and we blow the shoifer that knocks out all of that side of the fence in becoming effective against us, we wipe them out with the Tekiah Shoifer. But you can't talk out during Tekiah Shoifer or you cut out a link in the chain. And the totality of Tekiah Shoifer allows Yisrael to effectively wipe out all that negativity. Now, the Arizal says that a person should not sleep on Rosh Hashanah. And in some of this form, it's clarified that when the Arizal said it, he meant up till Chatzos. That means if Chatzos is, let's say, 12.50 in the afternoon, right before, right after noon, um, that if the person says, you know, I'm so tired from all the slichas and this, I want to just 15 minutes, I, 
Darizal says very sharply that his mazel sleeps a whole year. He should not sleep. And that's why it's so severe that many people will not sleep on Rosh Hashanah. In other words, they sleep at night. But he was talking about during the daytime, that a person should not sleep because it causes his mazel to sleep. But at very least, if someone was sick, or at least not to sleep before chatzos, because that really, according to everyone, is the timing that puts his mazel asleep. And I want to conclude with a statement about, I've mentioned it in the past, I don't know if I ever did in this series of Shiurim, but we take apples at the Suda. By the way, Rosh Hashanah is a day not for walks and not for spatsiering and enjoying the nice weather. Of course, people, there are many who go to Tashla, and of course, that's not called shvatsiring and just taking it easy. Taking it easy is for sukkahs, for Pesach, for Shavuos. It's yom tiv. You're supposed to relax. You're supposed to enjoy. So, but Rashan's not a day for relaxation. The whole year's success is dependent on Rosh Hashanah. And number one is tekiyah shayfer. Number two is davening. Number three is Tehillim. And then we have incorporated into the day the Su'undos. Now, if it's so urgent and critical every minute of Rosh Hashanah, what are we going home and having a Suda for two hours? There are many who learn a parak Mishnayas at the Suda because there's four Prokham of Rosh Hashanah and there's four Su'undos on Rosh Hashanah. But if it's so crucial, why don't we just make Kiddush in, in shul and eat something for five minutes and go right back to the tillum? But the answer is, and the Svarim say it, that the Sa'udas and Rosh Hashanah are equal to the davening. That that Rosh Hashanah is, yom, is yomtiv. We say to people, good yomtiv. And you're supposed to have a suda with zmiris, with songs, and all of that goes up in an equal partnership in the wagon that carries the tefillahs and the crying and the whatever it is. As a matter of fact, it says you should not cry, Rosh Hashanah, uh, simply because it's a Yom Tif. And on Shabbos and Yom Tif, you're not supposed to cry. So we have a Suda. And one of the things we do worldwide for the last three and a half thousand years is we take an apple and we dip it into honey. Now many people may think that it's a child. Yeah, we do it, but what, so what? You know, like a child, you dip a, take a, take a fruit and you dip it in the honey, so we should have a sweet year. But for three and a half thousand years, no one took a pear or no one took an orange, which is also Barik Prima Eights. They took the apple, because the apple represents and is connected, it's called Tapuach here in this world, that's the Hebrew word, for apple. 
And in Shamayim, there's a thing called Stea Tapuchen, the Dachakal Tapuchen Kaddishen, the holy apple orchard. And from there comes down all of the Shefa. So on Rosh Hashanah, when we take the apple, which has the same words as the apple orchard up there, Tapuach, and we dip it in the honey, we make the periperiates and we eat it, it is a signal to opening the treasure chest in Shemayim. And this, what I am saying to you about the apple with the honey, with the steya tapuchen, the chakal tapuchen kaddishen, happens with every minute that we have at the table on Rosh Hashanah. When you say, the head of the fish, that there's a near LaRoche Velolazanov, that that kicks in to put us in front of the line of the Umos HaOilo, of the nations of the world and being successful, that we shouldn't be the Zanov to the world. We should be way up front. So we should be very Mahader and very careful in every minute that comes to Klal Yisrael from the Saudos of Rosh Hashanah. And somebody should not hurry and should not, and most people don't have different Chol at their regular Shabbos table. They don't sit and talk about Trump or the stock market or Ukraine but they sing, or they say Divri Torah, or they're eating, or there's a discussion of Divri Torah. But we don't take the level of a Sauda and Shabbos and bring it down to destroy all the Kedusha there. And certainly so on Rosh Hashanah. Like it says that the first three hours of Rosh Hashanah we reflect in the Hoshana San Sukkot, Hoshana Shaloshos, and the Mikubalim explain what do we ask Hashem? Save us from the three hours, because the first three hours at night of Rosh Hashanah, a person is looked at with a microscope. And whatever he says and whatever he does, whatever he thinks, is being looked at and heard and analyzed in judging the person. I do want to say to you that the Gemara says that somebody who is full of mitzvahs is right away nigzar, decree, life, good life for the whole year. And someone who's a Russia dies on Rosh Hashanah. Right away. Now we know that there were many Gemurim who died on the first day of Rosh Hashanah. For someone to think, oh well, but the Gemara says that he, only the Rishonim. So he must have been a hidden Russia. And not a lot of things such a thing. We don't know the Cheshboinus Lamala. Sometimes there's a Gezerah on Rosh Hashanah that there's a community of 1,200 people hidden that they're going to die. There's going to be a plague, they're going to die. And the fact that they immediately take the neshama of a tzaddik gomer that wipes out and eviscerates, it wipes out completely the gezerah against those 1,200. 
So the thing is we have to condition our minds and our thoughts that we do not know, we're not in the driver's seat to know what HaKadosh Baruch Hu is doing with his kingdom. And we just have to respect and love the majesty and the royalty of his kingdom, of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. But there are things that are beyond our conception and our vision. So we cannot stand back and judge Oh, that guy died today. I thought he was a Choshevayid. He must have been a rock. It does mean that there were Shoyim that die and have the Gezer. And it doesn't mean I'm Rosh Hashanah. It could be that they're going to die three months later. But the Gezer comes from Yom Kippur, Rosh Hashanah that that group of people will die out during the year. But the person who dies... Sometimes it's the same, like Rav Shamshan Estrapola, who was one of the biggest tzaddikim ever to live around 400 years in the Gezer of Tachvatat. They showed him in a chalom that there's going to be, I mean, there were hundreds of thousands of Jews killed then. But there would have been another 500,000. And there would have been a twist in the war in the crusade, in the fighting against Jews that would have happened and they showed him that if he's willing to be tortured and die all 500,000 will be safe and he agreed and he was tortured and he died and those 500,000 were saved anyway the new year should be with tremendous chesed and rachamim and each and every yid should see to the fullest extent good, good health. Lots of nachas from his kinder, from his enekloch and his orenekloch. And he should have our chavas because when a yid has money and space and time to be able to be an oivet Hashem, it broadens the scope and he's able to do it. <coughs> with an eagerness, with a tastefulness, with a vitality that is incomparable. In other words, if a person's worrying about closing off his gas today and he has to put the $212 together, otherwise he has no gas to cook, no gas to keep the house warm, so he can't function as an Oyvud Hashem. He's worried about what's going to be with his family, with his house. So we hope there will be our Chavah Gedoyla for each and every Yid. And we should be Zorcha Bedin, Ksiva Vachasima Tov. Amen.